listeners, the next two episodes are going to be jam-packed with guests from start to finish, so no skipping. Awkward Insurance went on the road all the way to New York City for the InsurTech Insights USA 2023 conference. We had such a great time and recorded so many interviews that we had to split it into two episodes. Day one was the most packed, so let's dive right in. I am Dustin Bryant, Personalized Academic Director and host of the Awkward Insurance Podcast from the National Alliance for Insurance Education and Research. And we are recording live from the InsurTech Insights New York 2023 conference. And right now, who do I have with me? You have Bobby Kalise with you today. I am so excited. We have been trying to like connect over the last year or so, and it took a conference. Yes, <laughs> in New York City. We couldn't even do it virtually. We had to wait till we got in person. I know. Well, thanks so much for taking a risk and getting awkward with me about your company today. So you're with Pottery Insurance, right? Yes. Give me an awkward take on what your company does. So my awkward explanation would be we are trying to change the paradigm and how small and micro commercial business is transacted in the marketplace. Our value prop is that we can take a risk from quote to bind with a name and an address in seconds, which allows agents and quite frankly us to make the unit economics work. So we're all making a little bit of money off a business that otherwise would have been unprofitable from the expense standpoint. So for quote to bind, you said name and what else? Address. Address. And that actually works? It actually works, I would say, 60 to 70% of the time. But we do write a lot of new in-business risks. So the new in-business risks don't have a lot of third-party data that exists yet. But with a name and address, if there's enough third-party data, we go collect it. We run it through our automated underwriting engine and bam, you get a quote. You can buy it with a credit card. It's literally quote to bind in seconds, maybe minutes, depending on how fast you type your credit card information in. Awesome. And you've seen this in action in agent's office. Like yes. you've been able to go in and they're probably sitting there like, what do they say when you say quote to bind yeah. in seconds? Do they actually, they're like, nah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the fun <laughs> Part, like I, So I lead distribution and then um, underwriting for our org. And the fun part about it is all I have to do is get an agent to try it once and it's sold. Describe their face when they see it works. Like, it's almost like a face of disbelief. Like I, <laughs> like I actually just put in a name and an address and I got a bindable quote instantly. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. So what are you guys doing at InsurTech Insights? Yeah. So my present CEO, David McFarland, is on a panel later this afternoon talking about underwriting. I'm on two panels, actually, back to back this afternoon. One is on the ecosystem and uh, customer experience. And then the other one is on automated underwriting. So uh, both up our alley. So explain the ecosystem and customer experience. Yeah. So, I mean, if you just think about property and casualty insurance in general, there's tech stacks being built, right? So legacy ecosystem versus insure tech ecosystems are very different. Right. Yeah. And how are they intermingling? Like how is one maybe better than the other? There's pros and cons to both. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today is like, do insure techs actually have the advantage and how can legacy carriers kind of catch up too? So you want legacy carriers to catch up and not... Well, I mean, we're always going to be a little bit ahead, I think, just because we're starting there. But I I do think that there's an opportunity for legacy carriers to play and to stay relevant. And that will be a big part of the conversation today. I'm really interested. You said you started an underwriting right out of college. Yes. When you were in college, did you know you wanted to be an underwriter? No. What happened? No. (laughs) 
I, it wasn't the plan. I, uh, my degree, I actually started as an engineering major and flipped over to marketing um, just because I realized most engineers were too introverted for me and I didn't want to work with them. No offense to engineers on the line or listening. But, oh, no. <laughs> so I was a marketing major. I had two job offers out of college. One was underwriting. The other one was... And you were, yes, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have to be honest with you. It was for a niche company in Wisconsin whose book was primarily restaurants and bars. And I'm such a big foodie where I'm like, oh, well, I can make this work. Like, this could be fun. Did you think you would be going to the restaurants and, and bars? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Did well, that and, work? And I got to research. And, <laughs> okay. And eventually we even got to the point where when we were on the road traveling, we would make sure that we patronized our insured businesses. So, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great way to promote the business. Absolutely. That's amazing. So last question here. What trends do you see emerging that Coterie is really here to kind of fill in or get involved in or just be the problem solver for? I think there's two big ones. I would say one is insurance has always been underwritten and priced on the law of large numbers. We're really trying to focus on pricing and underwriting our risk based on individual risk merits and individual risk characteristics. So that's a big one. And then the other piece is just insurance wherever it needs to be as part of the purchasing process. I love that. Yeah. So insurance wherever it needs to be. Yes. I love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you. This is just an amazing, awkward take from Bobby Collies with Coterie Insurance. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Thank you for the opportunity. Much appreciated. Right now, who do I have with me? Hey, Dustin, you have Adam Rimmer, CEO and co-founder of Blood Flash. Great to be here. Oh, I am so excited to meet with you. I have heard about Blood Flash since I went to the PIA Arkansas event earlier this year. I was talking to a great friend of mine, Brian Thompson, who also happens to deal in parametric insurance. And I can't remember how he mentioned Blood Flash. But ever since then, I was super excited since we just rewrote a segment of one of our curriculum courses called Other Personalized Solutions, and it includes parametric coverage, but it was from the earthquake perspective because that's when it entered my brain. Yep. So when I heard there was something for flood, like, oh my God, yeah. I had to find <laughs> out what this was about. So tell us a little bit about, just in case somebody doesn't know what parametric coverage is, explain parametric coverage in the most fun way you can. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the most fun way I can explain parametric insurance is to actually talk about death. That's not awkward. Which, you know, which, exactly, yeah, exactly. So parametric insurance sounds like jargon. You know, it sounds like it's a new thing. But arguably, insuring somebody's life or death yeah. is kind of the oldest form of cover, really. Right. That is a parametric policy. There is just one parameter. It is, are you dead? Yes. And if that parameter is met... If the answer is yes, if that box is checked, then a payout is made to your family. Right. Nobody comes along to work out how much your death cost. Nobody comes along to work out, you know, which bits of your death were pre-existing damage or were, which, which bits of your death weren't actually covered under the whole policy. We've just decided that, you know, as a society, as an industry, that actually it's so much simpler for when these bad things happen to have just an agreed amount up front and when a parameter is met... And that parameter must correlate, you know, with you experiencing a loss. And, you know, in that case, it's, you know, loss of income for a family, typically. Then a payment is made to get things going again. Right. And importantly, like life insurance, you know, you're not necessarily looking for perfect dollar for dollar indemnity. Mm -hmm. like you might be with a traditional policy. Right. What you're looking for is cash fast to get that family, that business, that community back up and running, back operating and to be to be more resilient and it's 
that's why it's so powerful. And it strips out so much cost and so much uncertainty that it means that even in the highest risk areas around the globe, we can cover people that traditional underwriters will turn away from. Right. And that when we talk about like the, the global protection gap, you know, every year seventy billion dollars of flood damage, fifty-eight billion dollars of that is not covered by insurance. You know, given the whole point of insurance is to protect people when the worst happens, that's the thing we need to start protecting. And only by removing that cost, removing that uncertainty, will underwriters start taking on that risk for the first time. Right. That's what parametric insurance can do. I love the concept of parametric insurance. Claims processes are just stressful for clients anyways. They call in, they've got a claim, their brain is frazzled. And sometimes the agent, they're trying to filter through their emotions and everything else. And just being able to say, you know what, the parameter has triggered. You're good. Your check is on the way. And because it's so tech involved, a lot of times that check is on the way as quick as they can say, I've had a claim. So I, I, I really do love that. Yeah. And they don't even need to say I've had a claim, importantly. We already know. Okay. Like we actually had, uh, we so business started in the UK. We've been writing in the UK for about four years. Just started in the US, but you know, in the UK, we had one example where it was a, a rental property that we were insuring. The landlords of that property were in Australia. Their first time that they were finding out about their claim, and we were confirming their bank details to transfer them their their payment. Wow, that's pretty cool, right? How, but I am trying to imagine their mindset yeah. of not being anywhere near their property. Yeah. They're in Australia and they get a call. Here's a payment on the way. And they're like, payment for what? Wait, what? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what did you say happened? Exactly. And the, and the whole thing is transformative after an event. You know, it's so it's typically commercial properties that we do, you know, all types of classes of business. So we do, you know, two Premier League football clubs, for example. We do a single malt distillery. We do, you know, we do a championship golf course. We do one UNESCO World Heritage Site, which is quite cool. It's a whole, it's a whole load of different type of businesses. We put a sensor on the external wall of their of their property. That tells us if water reaches a pre-agreed depth. So the parameter is depth of water. Sure. So client chooses the trigger depth. If that happens, it sends the data to us, and we can then we can then process the claim. So a commercial flood claim, you would typically expect maybe six months for that to be for that to be fully sorted. So on the twenty second of November last year. We settled a full commercial flood claim in three hours and 50 minutes. Wow. And that's not from claim reported to claim approved, like a traditional carrier would measure it. That is from water hitting the building to cash hitting the client's bank account. Wow. You're kidding. That's amazing. So tell me about the sensor. You said that they get to choose where the, the depth. That's right. So I brought it. So I brought one here to show you guys. Although I, I appreciate this won't translate particularly well to the podcast. So format, I want to kind of describe it in my layman's terms, real quick. This looks like a uh, a fluorescent light bulb. Yep. <laughs> That's yeah. what it that looks is, like. Exactly. With You're a computer chip on the that. end of it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So in the real world, these are. Um, so this is a transparent version that I brought to show Dustin. Um, so you can see the workings inside. In the real version, um, you know, these are these are opaque, so you can't you can't see what's going on. Sure. Um, but effectively, you have like what is mostly a cell phone at the top. So it has a you know, SIM card, modem, antenna, uh, memory chip. And then you have the, the, the measurement system that, that sits below that. And that gives us a millimeter level reading of flood depth. The sensor is also pinging us a, what we call a heartbeat signal once a day to make sure that it's still alive. It's got a battery that will last for about 10 years. Awesome. So we fit it, you know, 
installed with, with really strong brackets. You know, it's been tested through three storms in the UK now. So it's not going to float away. It's not going to float away. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. Exactly. <laughs> no, we did a lot of work on this. So the sensor design is led by uh, my colleague, uh, Pete Codling. He used to be a product engineer at Dyson before he came to uh, came to work with us. Awesome. Amazing vacuums. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> great vacuums and now great uh, flood depth sensors. So yeah, this sits on the external wall of the, the client site, measures flood depth. The client can choose the parameter or can choose the trigger depth and they can choose the payout based on what works for them and we can help we can help with that as well often our clients are in high risk areas so they will typically buy an nfip policy effectively as their primary layer but they're then exposed for things that aren't covered under nfip that could be business income cover it could be you know if it's a condo it could be swimming pools things like that um, and also they're not insured over that 500k for commercial 250k for, for residential so they need cover above that so we will help them select those trigger points. So effectively, the parametric policy kicks in when their NFIP policy runs out. Okay. And these are people in high-risk areas that the traditional market won't, sure. won't touch. But we were able to do it using this mechanism on a way that is profitable for the underwriters. Yeah. And so, so the underwriters here at Munich Re, it's all underwritten through Lloyd's of London. So it's all A-rated paper, you know, largest reinsurance carrier in the world. And they, because they, they believe in this as well. I mean, of all the catastrophic losses, I think flood is probably one of the most applicable for this. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, and so, and, and this, this sensor, this piece of hardware helps us, helps us do that. Awesome. So if an agent or an agency or a company is looking to add Flood Flash to their product offerings, how do they do that? Yeah, so they can head online to our website, www.floodflash.co, or they can email inquiries at floodflash.co, and we can take it from there. So in the, on the website, you'll see it both has UK and US pages. Hit the stars and stripes at the top. That'll take you to the US page, and we can uh, you can get in touch that way. I love it. I love the thought of it, the ease of doing business with it, the ease from an underwriting standpoint, the ease from a claims adjusting standpoint, the ease from just every aspect that you look at it. Yeah. Well, that is your awkward take from Adam Rimmer with Flood Flash at InsureTech Insights New York 2023 conference. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thank you, Dustin. Right now, who do I have with me? I'm Katie Wade. And I'm the principal at Dunraven Strategies in Connecticut. I used to be the Connecticut Insurance Commissioner. I saw that. That's one of the reasons why I was like, I have to talk to this person. So I was super excited to be able to sit in on the session that you just spoke about, which had to do with autonomous vehicles. And I loved everything you had to say. So I had to attack you as soon as you came off the stage and then run back over here really quickly. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking a risk of getting awkward with me about insurance today. Tell me it like two or three hot takes about the session that you just came out of. Well, I, I think one of the most important things is that none of us have all the answers and that we need to work together. For so sure. We had some really knowledgeable people about autonomous vehicles there, yeah. as well as deep insurance knowledge. And the important part is we're going to have to work together to figure out how we're going to continue to be able to offer insurance and allow companies to innovate. Right. Because this is still such, I mean, as much as we've been talking about autonomous vehicles, since Tesla came around. Right. Insurance-wise, we still don't know what the heck is going on, right? Well, I mean, I think I think it's taking much longer than anybody expected that it would. I think that, you know, there are aspects of in the traditional auto insurance in the commercial and personal line space, and that we're going to have to think about perils differently. That they're, you know, what's traditionally been thought of a liability and, you know, physical damage. We're now going to have product liability issues and we're going to need to figure out how to insure for that how to understand the risks so that companies can underwrite and that people are protected right absolutely 
So at the National Alliance, we write education for insurance professionals. They get CE credit for it. They get designations that really boost their careers. And one of the courses that we just rewrote is called Other Personal Line Solutions. At the end of that, there's an emerging risk section where we talk about what to do when you come across something that you've not been presented with. So one question that I had when I was listening to your session is, what do you think insurance agents are going to be faced with first when it comes to autonomous vehicles? So I think, you know, where we're going to see the development is going to be more in the commercial line space at first, and then it's going to come over to the personal line space. And so I think people need to, we're going to have to figure this out together. Yeah. And people are going to need to be able to control their data. Yeah. And what's shared with the insurance company. And there are many insurance companies that are very much supportive of that. Right. What I really loved also when I was hearing all of you talk was just the agreement that this isn't something that we're going to have a solution for right here. And that's where it ends. It's going to be a constant evolution. How quickly do you think legacy insurers are going to be able to adapt or adopt to this evolution of the autonomous vehicles? Well, I mean, many of the many of the legacy insurers have uh, have mobile what have mobility sections, um, and they which where they're, you know, going from the very light touch all the way to look looking all the way to the future. And I think they're they're working hard to understand this so that they can figure out how they can how they can meet the market. Yeah. So you're with Dunraven Strategies. Tell me a little bit about that piece. So I formed after I left being commissioner. I formed my own company. Awesome. Yeah. And I started with working with startups, and now I work with startups, insurers, and investors. And what do you do with them? You teach them about the different regulatory environment, what they need to know or prepare for. A, a little of all of that. So it's um, you know understanding how insurance works, understanding how insurance regulation works, but then helping them to navigate regulatory complexity so they can achieve their business goals. Yeah, that's awesome. Final question: What's the most awkward discovery or situation you've been in in your career? This one. <laughs> what about this one? Is so awkward. I'm joking. I'm joking. And who do I have with me right now? Let's start with you. I am Anna Kupik, a principal and recruiter from Galecki Search Associates. Awesome. And you? I am Jacob Galecki. I am the managing principal and recruiter at Galecki Search Associates. Well, thank you so much for taking the risk and getting awkward about insurance <laughs> and tech with me today. I am so excited to have you here with me. So tell me a little bit about the Galactic Star Crew. No, I'm sorry. Galactic. <laughs> Galecki Search Associates. Don't get me started on the on the Galactic Cruiser. <laughs> but so Galecki Search Associates, I founded the company a little over four years ago. I have a long history of recruiting in the insurance space, specific to actuarial. Since I've started Galecki Search Associates, we've branched out and, and provide recruiting support to both ins traditional insurance companies and insure tech companies, primarily in the product underwriting and actuarial space. But we have a, a couple of grab bag items here and there. So as you're well. looking for talent. Yeah, we're looking for talent, looking for companies needing talent. I always say I'm looking for people and people who need people. Oh, awesome. Where's your primary source that you go looking for people? Now, I've met a couple of people here that are looking for yeah. jobs. Yeah. Now, I can't say it's that person or that person, but they're here. I think, you know, as recruiters, we, we think that everybody's looking for a job. Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> they may not know it. So you're interested in getting more people into the industry. How did you get into the industry? This is actually a funny story. I think everyone has a fun origin story for insurance, right? Right. So I, I started at, at, at school at University of Memphis, and I had a friend who moved to Philadelphia, and I was like, screw it, I don't want to be here anymore. And so I just moved to Philadelphia on a whim. I love that. And then took like a two-year gap year, and then I, it came time to go to school again. I wanted to have a degree, and my major was accounting, and I looked at the major list at Temple, what comes alphabetically after accounting? 
actuarial science. And I'm like, what's that? And I was like, Great I'll approach. Do. I was you like, took the phone book approach. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and if that didn't work out, I would just go down to whatever was next alphabetically. But yeah. And so that's, that's what started my journey. And so uh, as I tell people, that journey really helped me eliminate one career path for myself. Eliminate. I, yeah, I, I definitely do not want to be an actuary. Oh, God. <laughs> and you called him a recovering actuary, right? <laughs> yes. You have to know what you don't want to do just as much as you need to know what you want to do. You know what? I think that's how people learn best is by making the mistakes. So yes. we're not going to say that being an actuary was a mistake because we love actuaries. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And so when you asked about where do we go to find talent and also find um, clients is we also go to a lot of actuarial conferences. So we go to actuarial conferences. We're involved with a lot of the actuarial diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging groups. So there's quite a lot of in-person opportunities. And then we do a lot of networking on LinkedIn, on email, as well as, you know, we sometimes do cold calls. That That is still a thing. Yeah. Um, Jacob tends to do those because I don't love the, the cold call approach. But Who loves cold calls? Oh, well, here's how they all go. Hi, I'm Jacob Galecki. I'm a recruiter. And then they go, uh... <laughs> I will say we do try to get back to everybody because we know that there's, you know, perception in the market of recruiters in general, right? That you put your information into a black hole and you never hear back. Right. So we do try to let people know, um, you know, if they're if they've applied to a posting that we have, you know, that they're not being considered or that they are being considered in a timely fashion. So yeah. it is important to be communicative, I feel, in recruiting. It, it helps mm -hmm. give people better vibes and, you know, not get so discouraged because applying for a job can be so discouraging. We play such an important role in helping people through that process. I love that. Let's hear about the most awkward matchmaking experience <laughs> or interview experience. Like, I know you've got to see some weird stuff. Well, you know, I'm trying to think of what, what springs to mind. You know, certainly recruiting highly analytical individuals has led to a level of awkwardness. <laughs> uh, and I... I'll share one story that just springs to mind. My very first actuarial conference I ever attended, God, this had to be like 15 years ago. And I still have this notebook, by the way. I found it a couple months ago. And like on the first page, I was a brand new recruiter. So I was like just recording everything that I heard anyone say. This guy's telling me about his toenail fungus. Oh, no. And I write, <laughs> I, I, it's like first name, last name, dash, toenail fungus. I do the same and, thing. And I'm like, why did I write that down? Is that material? Because you will remember him forever that way like i'm captivated by your glasses right now i haven't written it down on this notebook in front of me because you can read it but as soon as you walk away i'm writing down silver glasses oh yeah you know actually i shout shout out to wes anderson and the life aquatic with steve zisu jeff goldblum had a pair of chrome glasses in that film and i tried to source those precise frames still on the search for them by the way this is a 20-year journey for me this is the closest i've came to it uh still to this day Jeff Goldblum to taunt me in his like renters.com commercial still wears those frames. Wow. So check it out. You'll see them. And it's like, Jacob wants those frames. Okay. So let's do last question. What challenges in finding talent do you see coming up and how do you suggest that you're going to be able to help or improve that situation? Yeah, I, I will go first. And I think Anna will have a different perspective than, okay. than me. We have seen over the last, like we'll call it the post-COVID era or COVID and then now post-COVID, right? Right. And so during, you know, when COVID first started, we thought, it was like, oh crap, there goes the business and no one's going to hire anyone ever again. We were very, very, very wrong with that. It became extremely heated and there was just a massive amount of talent turnover that occurred over the last like 
three years. And so I'm calling it the COVID hangover right now. So nice. I think people are just like, everybody who wanted to move, find something new and shiny has done so. And so, and then I think there's a group of people who are just never going to want another job. They're content where, where they are. They might not even like it, but they're content with, with their job. And so we're finding it really hard, especially on the actuarial front, to pride individuals and get them interested in new opportunities. And then there's a good 40%, if not 40 to 50%, who's turned over in the last three years. And so they're essentially unavailable until they've had a little bit more tenure at their company. So we're seeing a lot of a lot of challenges with, with that. What would you say, Anna? I would totally agree with that. And then I think still a very hot topic right now is the return to work, hybrid versus remote. It's everywhere right now. How companies are handling that. And I mean, even during the pandemic, we didn't really see any company nailing it as far as what their approach was as they started to do hybrid. There's a lot of the competing expectations of the employees coming to work as well as the employers. And no one has really found a way to make that magic collaborative environment while still giving everyone freedom, right, to their own schedules and flexibility. And then you have all of the downfall effect of, you know, the real estate portfolios that these companies have, as well as the tax breaks that they might be receiving by having in-person employees in their in their locations. And then you have the downtowns themselves that might be experiencing challenges because of lack of foot traffic that are coming through. So we're still seeing a lot of tension there. And we have a lot of requests from clients for more and more centric candidates to some of their offices or hubs or headquarters that might not be in locations that have a plethora of that type of talent. Yeah. So it's becoming a tighter market to try to find the right candidates. The, the cycles are taking longer, the recruiting cycles. And so I think we're still going to see that tension. It hasn't worked through yet. Yeah. And talk about awkward. There's some situations <laughs> where like the executive will be remote. And right. they want someone in the office because the executive's remote. They right, want a right. presence in the office. Oh, it's wow. like, oh, awkward. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, you get flexibility, but someone else does not. Yes. And yeah. so it's just, it's very challenging to overcome some of this. Yeah. I think it's just whatever's going to work for that business and doing it the right way. Yeah. Right. There's no one way. Who do I have with me? Hey, everyone. I'm Brent Williams. I'm the founder and CEO of Benakiva. Ben Akiva, thank you so much for taking the risk of getting awkward about insurance with me today. You guys are sitting right behind us in the recording booth. What's going on back there? Yeah, yeah. It's a big event for us. We do two big events, this one in ITC, and then we do many uh, smaller events in the industry. But this is one of our big events, so pretty excited to be here. So um, I just kind of wanted to sit down with you. Tell me awkwardly a little bit about Ben Akiva. What does Ben Akiva do? Well, Benakiva, we digitize the entire claims and servicing processes from intake to payout and everything in between. And that can be done anywhere, anytime, any device by anybody as part of the claims process. All right. Now bring it down to about a high school level. What does that mean? (laughs) Yeah. So with our technology, if you need to file a claim, you open up your phone, you click it and you're done. Awesome. The system does the rest. So you were telling me before we started recording that right now you're doing this mostly on the life and health side and yes. starting to think about the PNC side. So tell me what that looks like on the life and health side. Yeah, we started on the life annuity and health side because one, PNC industry is a little further ahead than the life annuity and health side when it comes to technology and processes and things like that. Right. But two, I think the more complex claims are on the life annuity and health side. And we didn't want to build just a claim system. We wanted to build the claim system. So 
the claim system that everybody wants. Yeah, and in order to <laughs> prove that out, you have to be able to process very, very complex claims. Right, and quickly. Yeah, and so we said, we'll start on the life annuity and health side. Once we prove it out there, then we'll see where the market tells us to go. So what's so complex about the life annuity and health side? Oh my gosh, <laughs> rules, regulation, <laughs> fraud. There's all kinds of things that make it a very complex process. And that's what's interesting. When we built Benakiva, I would ask, prior to Benakiva, I was an investment financial advisor. Right. Built a substantial advisory practice of about 300 million assets under management. And uh, I would ask my, my clients when we were done with the review process, I would say, okay, now that we've done this review process, let's go over your life, life insurance. Let's go over this disability policy, so on and so forth. And I would ask them, what happens... What do you think happens when it's time to file a claim on this policy? What do you think happens if, let's say, I'm not your advisor no longer and you happen to pass away? What do you think happens for the beneficiary? And 97% of the respondents said, well, the insurance company just cuts my beneficiary check. Mm. And they don't realize, no, there's a process that you have to go through in order to get that to occur. Yeah. And so that's where Benakiva comes in to try and make it as much like what they think it's going to be as it is, right? Exactly. We provide that Amazon type claims experience. Awesome. So how do you measure the success or effectiveness of your technology? What kind of benchmarks do you have in there? Yeah. So efficiency is a big one. People want to be, you know, there's a big misconception in the industry that insurance companies don't want to pay claims. And that is absolutely not true. Not at all. That's what we're here for. They do want to pay claims. They want to pay the right claims to the right people and they want to pay them fast. Yeah. So our technology helps them pay the right claims to the right people and pay them fast. Do you have any success stories in your head of where somebody's emailed you? Yeah. Give yeah. me your favorite. We've, uh, so my favorite is we had a large organization that processes a lot of claims. We're talking probably 250,000 plus claims a year. They did a test of our system and they did a time study. And what was really cool about this time study is we didn't even know what was going on. So they did a time study of Benakiva installed processing claims versus their current way of doing their business without Benakiva. All right. And Benakiva proved a 74.7% efficiency out of the box. Wow. So what's your motivation for attending the InsurTech conferences? You know, we... Now that we've proven that the platform does what we say it can do, mm -hmm. and we can install the platform in a very short time frame, now it's about telling the insurance industry, you can do this. You can right? do it. We've proven it now with small, medium, and even the largest carriers in the world, this can be done. So we need to tell the world that you can, you can digitize your claims process give that Amazon type experience that everybody expects, by the way, right? And you can do it in less than six months. Amazon's ruined the world, haven't they? Yep. So <laughs> They've ruined the customer service expectations yep. of everybody everywhere. <laughs> That's awesome. Right now, who do I have with me? You have Kevin Abramson. Kevin Abramson. And what company are you from? I'm from Cover Whale. Cover Whale. Founder, CEO, what's your what's your deal at Cover Whale? I'm a president of Cover Whale. So joined the organization about, we were founded about four years ago. I spent about the, the first year as kind of, they were my client when I was working at Tiger Risk. And then for the last call, about two and a half years, I've been in the role as president. Right. And so you provide insurance on whales, yeah? That's right. How'd you, get, <laughs> how'd you know? 
It's in the name, of that, course. There you go. We cover whales. That's absolutely. That's amazing. So this podcast has concluded. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We're all done. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking the risk of getting awkward about insurance with me today. So for realsies, what does Cover Whale do? Yeah, so we are an InsurTech MGA focused on the commercial auto space. You know, from a standpoint of really what we are doing, everything from processing and digesting massive amounts of data in every aspect and every form that we can to get to a better outcome of cost, right? In the end, that's what we're all here to do is to price risk as appropriately as we can up front. And then we do that obviously from a continuous standpoint too, where we are monitoring real time, second by second telemetry data to really, once again, identify risky behaviors, try to eliminate them before they come. And what that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's that simple. This is in the commercial trucking space, right? This is, yeah. So when I hear you say eliminate problematic behavior, <laughs> there's a lot that comes to mind in commercial trucking. There is. I mean, in a way, that was one of the reasons, the premise for the you know the thesis, I guess, for Dan Abrahamson founding the company was commercial auto has always been a, the burning building, and we wanted to run into the burning building as opposed to where everyone was coming out. So that's very interesting. So what's the, the top problem you think? with commercial trucking that you, your company in terms of telematics is looking for and would like to resolve the most of right now? Like maybe you don't have a handle on it yet, yeah. but you're really hoping to something that you can really help with. Look, it's, it's awkward and boring, but I'll throw it out there. I mean, it's, it's really profitability. Yeah. And you know, we, we don't have that legacy view. We are a startup, as you said, three or four years ago, started writing business. We capture, you know, tons and tons of data second by second. We are measuring it. We're doing something with it. So you know, it's very powerful. We can match that up of, you know, what is driving true riskier behavior and how do we quite frankly coach these drivers to be better and safer on the road? You know, in the end, that is the mission for what we're out to do. Yes, we want to make profits for our partners. Yes, we want to deliver, you know, insurance and grow. But really, in the end, we want to make the road safer. Yeah. So do you have an insight in terms of the data that you collect and how that translates into what do we want to teach the drivers on the road? Do you have an insight into what that looks like? Like oh, absolutely. what kind of education are we providing? Look, in the early days, it was very simple of really identifying what the riskiest behaviors were. And no brainer, but heartbreaking right. was highly correlated with loss. Speeding, what? highly correlated with loss. I know, it's Yay. crazy. <laughs> but this next generation, we're now collecting data of obviously drowsiness, text messaging. You know, it's not just heartbreaking. Maybe heartbreaking is actually safe on the roads if you're somebody's cutting you off. It's now tailgating. And now how do we kind of really piece all these different puzzles together to really get to the heart of who are the riskiest drivers? Let's coach them. And if they're not willing to be coached, let's essentially eliminate them from our portfolio. The interesting fun fact is, you know, I don't don't quote me on this number, but I believe roughly like 70% of the accidents that are caused, they're not the tractor trailer's fault. Yeah. It's a personal auto's fault that's really driving that loss. They've cut them off, they've done something, the tractor trailer can't stop. You know, so in a way, all of our vehicles have dual facing AI focused cameras. It really allows, you know, our drivers to, you know, essentially exonerate them oftentimes from a loss. Right. So we are trying to help them. Okay. From your perspective, what do you think is the reason why this industry is so slow to adopt the AI and the machine learning technologies that you're working so fervently to use? I think it just in the end, the legacy traditional, archaic nature of insurance. What do they say? If it ain't broke, don't fix it? A little bit, you know, but I think it is broke. We've all known it. We've talked about it for decades. And I think that's where, you know, we have a market leading, what I think is loss ratios, but equally our expense ratio, if we were a first full stack carrier, would beat any of the legacy players. Yeah. So we have an ability to leverage technology, create efficiencies, 
And I think that's the key. Like in the end, we want to lower the cost of insurance. Yeah. Right. We, we need, we're, we're for profit. Don't get me wrong. Exactly. We, we need to make money. But in the end, you know, like there's too many kind of mouths to feed in this value chain. And we want to give it back to the drivers. It is. There's enough money to go around if we can get control of loss ratio and get control of the expense ratio. So as you're talking, I'm thinking about the hangups of AI and machine learning and all of that and just how like skeptical people are of it or even afraid of it, if you will. What is your perspective? Have you been able to gain perspective from truckers and what they feel about this technology being added to their trucks and basically feeling maybe a little bit like Big Brother's watching them all the time? Yeah, no, like early days, you know, uh, you know, when, when Dan founded the company in early days and communication and talking with him as a strategic advisor, the rest of the world said this is impossible. There is no way for large fleets, easy to get cameras in the trucks. That's no brainer. That's fine. The owner says it. If the driver doesn't install it, he's fired. She's fired. For these owner operators, it's harder, right? It's right. a harder sell. So we've worked very hard to kind of articulate what the value proposition to them is. And number one, it's to really hopefully lower their cost of insurance. Sure. Number two, to keep their truck on the road. Right. So it is really making sure you can articulate that value proposition. But yes, we are not. It's an event based recorder. We are not watching them sleep in the cab. We have no interest in that. <laughs> that is not the intent. You we, can tell them good. that all you want to. They still think that camera will roll its eyes backwards and start looking at them, right? Yeah, but then, I mean, in a way, many of them, they have friends that have been in accidents that have been exonerated because of that camera. Yeah. Right? And, you know, we've had one just even recently where it was, uh, you know, a, a car spun out in front. Driver, one of our insurance pulls off the side of the road. State trooper comes up. And he's like, there's no way you were not involved. Our guy's like, no, let me get the footage. Shows it to the state trooper. Within 45 minutes, he's back on the road. That's awesome. All right. Who do I have with me? Hi, I'm Susan Winkler. I'm the executive director of Connecticut Insurance and Financial Services in Hartford, Connecticut, the insurance capital of the U.S. The insurance capital of the U.S. I am so excited to be talking to you today. Now, I heard earlier that you've got some really interesting programs for new talent. So tell me a little bit about what this actuary boot camp is that you have. Well, I'm happy to tell you we are super proud of the initiative. We've been running an actuarial boot camp for high schoolers. High schoolers. For now 14 years, yes. 14 years. No way. It's our 14th year, yes. It's uh, high school juniors and seniors, and we take them fresh out of school with no knowledge of actuarial science. So the whole purpose of this was building our own actuaries. That's essentially, it's a retention tool, employment retention tool. We start early with this actuarial boot camp. It's very cool. They love it. We feed them super well. We immerse them in probability. We give them guest lectures all week. It's one week. And we give them all kinds of games, you know, risk games and games yeah. of probability. And they love it. They walk away so excited about the actuarial field. A lot of them say, hey, I was a math nerd. I always thought I was like, you know, didn't fit in because I really loved math. And now I found my place. And that, it just warms your heart. Because these are young, young students. They're looking to potentially find a way to do something with the fact they love math. A lot of times they're going to be maybe a teacher and that's okay, but they knew maybe something else. They heard about actuaries. They don't know really what it is. And we just, we double down on them and we say, here you go. We love you already. Go to school, get your degree, but we're here waiting for you in Hartford saying we have jobs and internships ready. So, so is this the only thing that your company does or is there more to it than that? No, we do more. We do more. Give me a hot, awkward take on what else your company does. We look, you know, one of the things that CTIFS does, one of our focus areas is talent. So 
in the case of Young Talent, I just gave you an idea of what we do to create actuaries. We also host a annual career fair called Get Hired. Okay. But the interesting thing about this career fair is that it's only insurance and financial services companies. So as a young student thinking, oh, and this is college students coming in and saying, you know, where am I going to work? They go to one place and there they have all of the insurance companies, all of financial services companies, and those companies that support that. So yeah. the tech companies and the, and the advisory consulting firms. So they're, they go into one place and they realize, hmm, if I start this company, maybe I can go to that company after and that company after that. I love it. A one-stop shop of what your career possibilities are, right? And we want to keep them. It's all about keeping talent in your place because you know how hard it is, right? Right. Absolutely. Now, I love the thought of that just because I think it's sometimes hard, especially when you're younger, to pick a career and see what your, your future vision could be. Right. Awesome. So you're actually speaking here at InsureTech Insights this year. What is your topic? The interesting thing about what I'm talking about today is that it's embedded insurance in untapped markets. Untapped markets. Give me an example of one untapped market. Uh, Let's say they were thinking in particularly in underserved populations in healthcare, where we might be able to put in opportunities to not only acquire healthcare, but also afford healthcare. So the startups and the insure techs here particularly are very keen on how to close the gap, close the cap on uh, the ability to have insurance, but also afford insurance. Right. So in healthcare specifically, that's the example. Amazing. Eric Gordon has finally decided to grace us with his par- his presence. <laughs> and I can't his parents. Stop- <laughs> his parents. And I can't stop laughing at this point. So, Aaron, I'm so glad that you got to come to InsureTech Insights. We wanted you to be here. We want your perspective as an independent agent. And you just came back to the table and you were like, I'm so amped. I am amped up. What are you so amped about? I'm amped about the future of the insurance industry. Now, okay. you might say that I should have known about this before, that InsureTech is a thing. Obviously, we all know that InsureTech is a thing. Yeah. But what's incredible to me is I've heard my entire career and we see it that there's billions of dollars being poured into the insurance industry. But what's most interesting to me is that there's such diverse companies here, startups, well-funded companies, old school, new school, companies that want to work with old-time carriers and agencies, companies that only want to work with the new school. And the panelists have been insane. I mean, the fact that, again, to me, as a guy who grew up in the insurance industry and saw Pale, Stale, and Mail, and I respect it, like to be in the Jacob Javits Center, packed with insurance people. I haven't seen a single tie yet today. <laughs> I know, like you right? know, there's people of all shapes and sizes. People are wearing masks. Some people are not, which is cool. Like just the whole vibe here, and the speakers. And we haven't gotten to the speakers yet, but just this room is like crazy to be in. So I'm amped up. I'm sorry. Uh, have you had an energy drink today? Because zero. You are, One like, cup of coffee. You are like bouncing. And I told you I was amped. <laughs> I didn't. I told you I was in. Mac is like turning down my feet because I'm super <laughs> amped right now. To the loyal listeners, you've been walking around all day. What's the riskiest thing you've seen so far? The riskiest thing I've seen is that there's a company doing liquid nitrogen ice cream Nuh-uh. and frozen uh, lemonade, like right, literally right there. That's what Probably I like need for my throat. For How come you did not bring and, that over? And you knew I've been recording because it's all risky. Because it's risky. I'm not going anywhere near that. <laughs> By the way, like I mean, I think that there's something super interesting. The fact that we're sitting here, we're at an insurance conference. Yes, it's insure tech. We're at an insurance conference. 
And like, you have a booth to record a podcast. I know. Like, like our back is against the wall. We kind of see the the whole conference floor. And like, look at the diversity. If you need a picture of it, then just go to our social media page because we have a ton of pictures all over the place. But like, look, look at the diversity. Look at yeah, this industry. Yeah, no, for real. The future is so bright. I met people who are literally in technology and were, said, someone said there's something in tech and they're like, oh, we need to get into the insurance space. Who would have thought of that five or 10 years ago that seasoned technology programmers or developers and venture capitalists would be saying, we need to drive towards the insurance industry. So like, that's something that's super, that's just amping me up. Yeah. So I have one one last question. From the moment you either got the invite or walked in the door here, your perspective of what you thought you were walking into versus your perspective now from this conference. That's a good question. Thank you. I've only been doing this for two years. Um, No, I'm like... (laughs) Three. Three years. Matt corrected me. 50 episodes. (laughs) 50 episodes today. Yes, thanks. I think I thought it was going to be much more of the standard insure text that you hear about like billion dollar companies and carriers and stuff and this is just more ancillary products and awesome enhancements again i'm not in the benefit space so some of those are not relevant to me yeah there's Um, a lot of benefits there's a lot of those but it's also just what that shows is that there's room for disruption i just and the people that i've met and the people that by the way another great thing about this industry as you know i'm somewhat active on social media Follow me on all your platforms at NY Risk Advisor. Thank you very much. Like, comment, share. Anyway, we digress. Um, to answer your question, because you're going to end up editing it out, I'm going to start with the answer again. You can cut this out. Is the thing that has interested me most is the ability to see that disruption. And also, I have worked hard on trying to be a little bit on social media. And the people that I've met in this room that are like, oh, hey. Do you see the light in his connected. eyes right now? Just- we've connected on LinkedIn. Some guy came over to me and said, you must be Aaron Gordon. I see your shoes. Some guy said to me, thanks for commenting on my tweet last week. And that, to me, is so awesome because everyone who I've ever spoken to, I've been in this business since I was 15 years old, and I was the loser. This guy was going into you know, real estate on a new building. This person was in tech. This person was in venture capital. This person was learning about, was a doctor and learning about new emerging medical technologies. And I was just a loser with insurance. An awkward loser who was <laughs> And now it's like, look at all these cool people. Look at the people that are coming out of college into the industry that are choosing this as a career. The venture capital firms that are forcing their analysts to look at this. And therefore, we're cool. And that's what inspires me. Yeah. I love that you've gotten so much recognition just off of your brand. That means you're doing a great job. You are your brand. I mean, don't tell my wife and kids. Real life plates. NY risk. Hashtag you are your brand. Hashtag keep bustling. Hashtag trusted advisor. Hashtag awkward insurance podcast. Hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. Oh my gosh. I've enjoyed sitting here giggling at you this whole time. So you're coming back for day two, yeah? I'll be back. I'll be back. Well, that's it for day one. If you're keeping up with episode releases in real time, keep your notifications turned on so you won't miss the day two release. If you're catching us on the flip side, it's time for you to queue up the next episode to listen to day two of InsureTech Insights. Thanks for listening. Toodles.